As the Orioles continue to stay quiet in free agency this offseason, I know that you have questions about what the O's are doing at this point. And I've got answers coming up on a special Mailbag Tuesday edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, December 13th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag once again. The mailbag went so well on Monday, we got so many extra questions that I'm leaving it open for an extra day. A mailbag Tuesday coming up here on the podcast. We're going to talk about... If the Orioles could maybe trade for a pitcher, because we know there's not many left on the free agent market. We talk about the direction of the franchise between the front office and the ownership as well as fans get frustrated so far here this offseason. We'll talk about the potential of maybe adding guys next offseason instead of now. We'll talk a bit about their rotation, about Ryan Mountcastle, and many, many more topics coming up on this Mailbag Tuesday episode. Again, we thank you all so much for listening every day, for watching, liking, commenting, and subscribing to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel as well, and for submitting your questions. Again, if you did submit a mailbag question and I did not get to it today, don't worry. I'll get to it next week on a mailbag Monday. And remember to submit those questions via email at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet us at LockedOnOrioles. DM us as well. Leave a comment, a question in the YouTube comments. We'll get to it on a future mailbag episode. But let's jump right into the mailbag here on a Mailbag Tuesday episode. And our first question comes from Be Easy on YouTube, who asks, would you move a top five Orioles prospect for Pablo Lopez or a pitcher like Pablo Lopez? A generally considered top of the rotation guy with multiple years of control. And the easy answer is yes, I would do that. And especially after what we've seen the Orioles not do over the past couple of weeks. Right now, as Sean Manaya went off the board, the other night, and then on Monday, Chris Bassett went off the board, signed by a three-year deal by the Blue Jays. Not a lot of great free agent options left, which means the O's will turn to their trades. And we know there's a possible connection with the Marlins, especially for a guy like Pablo Lopez. And I would do it, especially if it was a one-for-one, one, one of the top five prospects. Now, again, I won't even count Gunnar Henderson because it's going to take him about a week of the regular season to lose his prospect status. So I'll say the top five prospects right now are Grayson Rodriguez, Jackson Holiday, Colton Kowser, D.L. Hall, Jordan Westberg. There's your top five right there. I would trade, definitely, Jordan Westberg, 100%, one for one for Pablo Lopez, would easily do it. The other four would take a little bit more convincing, just because I think they're going to be better players moving forward. But if you're going to keep Cedric Mullins, and instead you need to trade Colton Kowser straight up for Pablo Lopez, I would do it. The other three would be tough, but I could be convinced for D.L. Hall, and I could honestly be convinced for Jackson Holiday. I don't think I'd do Grayson Rodriguez for Pablo Lopez straight up, but I think I would do the others. And the O's just got to find a way to get pitching, and especially if it's controllable like Lopez, and then they can go in and, I mean, I would hope try to extend him as well beyond, you know, he's a free agent after 2024. But yeah, I would certainly make those talks with the Marlins because it doesn't seem like the O's are going to get a big pitcher via free agency. Second question, kind of a combo question. Similar questions coming from Amish O's fan on Twitter and at bmully3 on Twitter as well, who basically asked a combination to look like this question. 
Are the Orioles becoming the Marlins, the Athletics, or the Pirates in the ways that they operate with ownership and the front office? Basically wanted to address each team separately. Let's start with the Athletics, because they were certainly in the news on Monday, trading away their star catcher, Sean Murphy, to the Braves in a three-team deal that also included the Brewers. Now, Oakland got some prospects back, but in general, everyone agreed they did not get enough for Sean Murphy in that deal. And Sean Murphy, a guy who still has three more years under contract. Why are you trading a guy like that? What? Why? Just as he's about to hit arbitration, you're going to trade him away? So first of all, the Orioles would not make a Sean Murphy-type trade. I, I don't see them trading Adley Rutschman three years from now. But they also, you know, Sean Murphy's like a pre-arb guy. The Orioles have traded some players, don't get me wrong, especially when it was, you know, really bad and they sold off the team, you know, even in 2019 and 2020. But I don't think the O's are looking to trade pre-arb guys like Sean Murphy. For example, Anthony Santander. You know, he, he's got two more years left. Yeah, we've heard the name come up, but in general, there haven't been any real trade rumors. Like, I don't think they're going to deal Sean or a guy like Sean Murphy, like an Anthony Santander or Cedric Mullins. The only guys they've dealt that early are relief pitchers, which is a very different situation than a franchise cornerstone catcher like Sean Murphy is. And of course, the A's also dealt away Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and just blew up this team over the past couple of years. But the O's only really do it with relievers. I mean, we saw them trade Trey Mancini, and as much as I hated that move, he was in his final year of his deal, was set to become a free agent. That's very different than a guy with three or four years of control. And the O's, I mean, they aren't physically trying to move themselves to Las Vegas right now. And while the A's have never spent money, at least in the past, under the same Angelo's ownership, the Orioles have spent some money. Oakland has never done it. So that's, I think, the big difference between those two groups. In terms of the Pirates, maybe you could see a little closer comparisons. You know, their rebuilds are on a similar timeline. The Pirates are one to two years behind the Orioles right now in the rebuild. But the Pirates made some really, really bad trades. And I think in general, Michael Elias has done a solid job in getting return in his trades. Now, he didn't get to trade the Orioles' main guys. Dan Duquette did that back in 2018. But, I mean, the Pirates trade that really sticks out of course, is the Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows trade to the Rays for Chris Archer. I mean, that was one of the worst trades we've seen in the last decade of Major League Baseball. And the Pirates really set themselves up poorly by making that deal. That's not something the O's will do. O's are a little more calculated. But spending-wise, so far, they're kind of on par with the Pirates. They have kind of similar prospects. You know, Brian Reynolds and Cedric Mullins have been on similar trajectories as well as kind of the centerpieces. They've got really good catching prospects. Yeah, it's a little bit, but they don't kind of operate the same way. And then the Marlins as well, it's a little closer than you would like. I mean, the Marlins owner hasn't spent and will not spend, and no matter who the owner is, they will not spend. I mean, actually in terms of net worth, Marlins ownership is worth the least of all 30 owners or ownership groups in Major League Baseball, but they still have the money to spend and they will not do it at all. At least the Orioles, again, in the past under the Angeloses have spent. But they do develop solidly. Now, the Orioles definitely draft better than the Marlins. I think that's the big difference we've seen so far. And while the Orioles have developed hitters very well, the Marlins can't develop any hitters at all. Now, the Marlins can develop pitching. We don't really know about the Orioles yet because they've developed some pitchers, but they really haven't drafted pitching much at all. So they haven't gotten nearly as much of a chance to develop pitching as they have with hitting. 
I don't know if the O's are down that road this far yet where, you know, for the teams like the A's and Pirates, it feels like there's almost no hope. And for the Marlins, they're kind of in this weird middle ground right now. And it's not a great spot to be in, especially in an NL East that has three really, really I mean, pretty elite baseball teams in the Braves, Phillies, and the Mets. But I'd be worried that the O's are going down that path with the way the Angeloses are just not doing anything and just fighting each other right now. Third question of the mailbag comes from Jody via email who asks in a little more words than this, but would the Orioles actually move to a place like Nashville, depending on the ownership situation? And if the Orioles did ever move, would you still support the team? Now, for the first part of this question, again, I addressed this yesterday on the Mailbag Monday episode a bit. It's always the rumors floating about the Orioles moving to a place like Nashville. I don't think it's going to happen, whether it's under the Angeloses or if they sell the team. Baltimore is a great baseball city. Johnny Angelos, he has talked about, you know, he said as, as long as Fort McHenry is still standing over the city or whatever, the Orioles will be here, whatever. I, I still believe him that he's going to keep the team here. And I think even new buyers would be local buyers, know the market, know to keep it in Baltimore. So I don't think they're going to move the team to Nashville. Now, in the hypothetical where the Orioles move, I mean, I, I think I would still cheer for them. I mean, it would hurt. It would hurt like nothing else. But I think I'd still cheer for him. I mean, it'd be all the players I've cheered for. I mean, you'd still have Adley Rutschman and Cedric Mullins and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Gunnar Henderson. I mean, they'd all go down for the, you know, the Nashville Orioles. I still cheer for that team. Now, if four or five years down the road, a different team, you know, expansion team came to Baltimore, I'd probably forget the Nashville Orioles and I'd cheer for that team. But I do want to know, leave it in the comments, for people who, you know, were, were old enough to remember... The Baltimore Colts, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and leaving for Indianapolis. And, you know, there was the long stretch without football in Baltimore until the Ravens got here in 1996. I've heard many different things from family members about kind of who they cheered for and what their allegiances looked like. But, you know, leave it in there. What, what did you do when the Colts left? Did you cheer for the Colts in Indy? Did you immediately, you know, knock them off? Did you stop watching football? Did you pick another team and then come back when the Ravens came back? Did you pick another team and you've just stuck with that other NFL team? Let me know in the comments here on YouTube and, and, and what you would do potentially if the Orioles did leave. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. But we've got six more questions to get to here on a Mailbag Tuesday episode of the podcast. Coming up next, we will talk a little bit about maybe an Orioles trade for Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Speaking of the Pirates, we'll talk about if Manny Machado becomes a free agent next year with the Orioles even consider bringing him back and then we'll talk about you know what the O's should be doing and could be doing in terms of what they're offering these starting pitchers that are free agents but first this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe because here at Locked On Orioles we believe home should be where you and your family feel safest especially over the holiday season now this season give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system Simply Safe and right now, Simply Safe is offering Locked On Orioles listeners 40% off a new security system. But you do not want to put this off. Now, here is why we love it. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get higher priority police response. And the professional monitoring service, it costs under a dollar a day. And they've got an amazing app that goes with it. It makes Simply Safe so easy to use right from your phone. Anywhere you are, you stay in complete control of your Simply Safe system. 
So don't miss your chance to save big on our favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So we're back here on a Mailbag Tuesday episode of the podcast, answering your Orioles questions. We thank you so much for getting your questions in here for the mailbag. And our fourth question of the day comes from Ali Khan on Twitter, who asks, what would it take for the Orioles to swing a trade for Brian Reynolds? Now, if you're not familiar, Brian Reynolds, one of the star, one of the only star players right now in the Pittsburgh Pirates, their starting center fielder, has officially requested a trade from the Pirates front office. Now, this is not something you see very often in Major League Baseball. Players requesting trades happens a lot more in like the NFL and the NBA, but doesn't happen as much in baseball just because teams have control over you for so long, you know, seven years in the bigs, making like the minimums and then in arbitration. It's hard to get a team to deal you because you can't really do something where you you hold out because then you start losing yourself money kind of it's not like you know the NBA and the NFL where you can still get money from another team get released whatever it may be it's just not going to work like that a team will hold on to you so it's tough to ask for a trade but if the O's did want to make that deal and I could see Brian Reynolds fitting in I get that Cedric Mullins is already in center field but you put Brian Reynolds out in the new spacious left field at Oriole Park and you let him play some defense there, and you bring his bat, he makes the Orioles a lot better if the O's could find a way to get him. And again, he, he's 27. He's going to be 28 in January. Reynolds is not a free agent until after 2025. You'd still have three more years of control of him, even if you didn't want to re-sign him. And, and he's had a nice last couple of years. 2.9 war, according to Fangraphs, in 2022 with a 125 WRC+. plus. But he had his crazy good breakout season in 2021. 6.1 war, had a 141 WRC plus that year. He was great. The issue is, trying to put together a trade for him, the reports have been over this past week that the asking price for Reynolds is reportedly, quote, Juan Soto-like. That is what the Pirates are asking for for Brian Reynolds. A deal similar to what the Nats got from the Padres for Juan Soto when they got, I mean, basically for the Padres' top five prospects, including guys like C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, who, you know, many think are, are going to be potentially MLB stars. So, I mean, you're looking at a deal that probably involves, I mean, maybe Grayson Rodriguez, Colton Cowser, Jordan Westberg, and a major leaguer from the Orioles to get Brian Reynolds. You know, maybe you're looking at those three plus a, an Austin Hayes plus a reliever from the O's bullpen to get Brian Reynolds. I mean, it, it's going to be like a big ask to get Reynolds, and do you really want to give up Gray Rod, Kowser, and Westberg? It might even take more than that, potentially, if it's a Soto-like ask. So I think if the Pirates are more realistic with the expectations to trade him, maybe you do it. But because they don't really want to deal him, so they're asking for the world, I can't see the O's doing it. But again, that's probably what a trade would look like, and I don't know if the Orioles would make that move. Next question is actually also from Ali Khan via Twitter. Thank you so much for sending in a couple of questions. He says... What would it take for the Orioles to bring back Manny Machado next season? Now you're thinking, Manny Machado, what, are they going to trade for him? Didn't he sign a 10-year deal with the Padres? Well, he did, but Manny Machado actually has an opt-out in his Padres contract, a player opt-out for after the 2023 season. So after he plays this season with the Padres, he could opt out of his deal and go to free agency. Now, there would be five years and $150 million left on his contract after this season. So he would be opting out of five years, 150. Basically what Manny would be looking for, he'd be 31 years old when he opts out. 
he'd be looking for about a 10-year, $400 million deal. If Manny does actually opt out of his Padres deal, he's going to be looking, I think, for nothing less than 10 years, $400 million. Are the Orioles going to spend that? I think they've shown us this offseason they are not going to. So would it be amazing as you're just getting back to being a competitive playoff team to have that reunion with Manny and this, this awesome kind of weird full circle moment? Yes, that would be incredible. And he's still playing. He probably should have won the MVP this year. I mean, 7.4 war, 152 WRC plus with the Padres this year. Manny was incredible in San Diego this season. I would love to put him at the hot corner in Baltimore again. But if he really does opt out, a, he's going to want that much money. B, you're going to have to outbid the Padres, who are going to try to get him back, and they, they've shown are willing to spend any money in the world to get players to their team. They offer more than $400 million for Aaron Judge as well, so they do it for Manny Machado. It's not going to happen. I don't even know if he'll actually opt out. I mean, he'll get more money if he does, but he may want to stay in San Diego. It'd be awesome, though. I would love it. Not going to happen. Next question that comes from JR on Twitter, who asks... What level of risk should the O's be considering in terms of years on contracts for free agents starting pitching? Now, this question changes a little bit because even more starters have gone off the board since we really broke down who was left. If you go back and listen to Friday's episode of the podcast, I kind of did a post-winter meetings episode where I looked at the free agents that had already been signed and looked at, okay, who is still out there, especially among free agent starting pitchers that the Orioles could go get. And there was still a solid list that was left out there. Well, that list took a, a fairly large hit over the weekend. You had Kodai Senga sign a five-year, $75 million deal with the New York Mets. You had, a, on a little bit smaller scale, you had Sean Manaya signed for two years, $25 million with the San Francisco Giants. And then on Monday, you had Chris Bassett sign a three-year, $63 million deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, of those three, I would say Bassett probably hurt the most. In terms of Senga, you know, there were reports that he was just looking to play in a really big market. Like, he basically wanted to play in either L.A. or New York. He was really wasn't looking at other teams. Now, I did hear that he did meet with the Orioles. Orioles met with him, and he just kind of politely declined and said, I want to play in a much bigger market. For Manaya's spot, I didn't really hear that the O's were really in on him at all, especially after getting Kyle Gibson. I would have liked Manaya. I think he could be a bounce-back candidate. And then for Chris Bassett, the Orioles did meet with Chris Bassett as well. I'm surprised they couldn't match a three-year, $63 million offer. Again, it's it's $21 million per year. That's what he's getting from Toronto. Bassett seemed like a perfect fit for the Orioles. I talked about that. And not only does he not go to the O's, he goes in division to help that Blue Jays team, which makes it hurt even more. But those guys aren't out there. So you've got Carlos Rodon, who's the ace, the big guy out there. John Heyman reporting again on Monday that the Orioles are still you know, checking in on Carlos Rodon. But the report was last week that he wants a seven-year deal and that's going to look like a deal for seven years and most likely over $200 million guaranteed. I don't see the Orioles handing that out right now. Your next best option is Nathan Eovaldi, who I know the Orioles are interested in and are chatting with him as well. But in terms of years, you know, when it comes to Chris Bassett, I probably would have said, eh, you don't want to give him five or six years. And most teams didn't want to, I had heard. And, and that's why he took a three-year bigger money deal with Toronto. But I think I'm fine with, with four to five years for most of these guys. I mean, Bassett's the oldest by far. He's 34, but most of those other pitchers that are available, you know, 30, 31 years old, 32 years old, I'd give them four or five years. I would give Rodon seven years. I mean, if the Angelos are willing to spend the money, give him seven years. He was about 30 years old. He'll be into his late 30s, but he's a lefty with good stuff. I think he can still be good at that point in his career. 
But yeah, you're going to look at to give these guys four or five years. And Mike Elias did chat during the winter meetings about how, you know, these these starting pitchers get worse after their first year when you give out these big contracts. And that's why the Orioles aren't offering long-term contracts, but they are offering multi-year deals. And I've heard most of the deals the Orioles are offering are two years. I mean, maybe they've sprinkled in some three-year offers, but it's mostly two-year offers they're making to these pitchers. And of course, if you've seen, they're all signing three, four, five-plus year deals. That's one of the Orioles' problems. The other problem is the money they're offering is not as much as the other teams are offering. But I would say around four or five years is going to get most of these deals done, and I think it still doesn't mean a whole lot of risk for the Orioles. And again, remember, it's, it's, it's the owner's money. It's, it's not yours either. Three more questions, though, to get to here on today's mailbag episode. Talk a little bit about Ryan Mountcastle moving forward with the O's, taking a look at the O's rotation next season, and looking at the Orioles offseason and a reason why they haven't been spending money at all so far this winter. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis here in December. Because we still got the World Cup going on, semifinals of the World Cup today and tomorrow, and then the final on Sunday. And you can get all the lines and the odds for every match at BetOnline.net. But it's not just the World Cup. You've got college football. Bowl season coming up starting later this week. The college football bowls will begin. There's games all day, every day, it seems. You can get all the lines there. Plus, NFL football every Sunday and Saturday. Ravens play on Saturday this weekend as well. Plus, you got college basketball, the NBA, the NHL, everything at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I hope you do, you're listening to this one, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. They are always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts. So we're back here to finish up a Mailbag Tuesday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Three more questions to get to, and we start with Jackson via Twitter who asks, what is Ryan Mountcastle's role moving forward with the Orioles? And I know there's been a lot of talk about Ryan Mountcastle because his surface stats were a little down. After you know a really good full rookie season in 2021, a lot of the stats were down across the board for Mountcastle in 2022. But as I've chronicled, Multiple times here on this podcast, including on Mountcastle's season review episode I did a few weeks ago, Ryan Mountcastle is one of the most, essentially the unluckiest player, maybe. The player with the least luck at the plate in all of baseball this year. Now, the wall being moved back in left field really hurt him. He lost multiple home runs to that wall. But when you look at his stats again, you know, he hit 250, a 106 WRC+. plus. He had a better year, 255, 111 WRC+, plus last year, but... The Woba was a lot better this season. And you look at all the underlying stats, they got way better. His exit velocity, his hard hit percentage, his barrel rate were all elite, all in the top 10% of Major League Baseball, all up from last season. You know, he hit 250, but StatCast expected batting average, which looks into how hard you hit the ball, how well you hit the ball. His expected batting average was 277, one of the biggest differences in baseball this year. He slugged 423 this year. That was down. But expected slugging percentage was at 509, one of the biggest differences in Major League Baseball this year. Mountcastle was making quality contact all season. This is what we talked about. He was, it was unbelievable how unlucky Ryan Mountcastle was this year. And with the wall moving back, that hurt him as well. So those two things really combined to make for what maybe looked on the surface like a down year. But this is one of those occasions where you have the stats backing up that, oh, he's been super unlucky. 
And then you have the eye test when you watch him and you say, he keeps hitting the ball hard. How is he not getting any hits? Those two things combined to show you Mountcastle is due to break out next year. Now, he may never hit 35, 40 home runs because of that wall in left field, but he can hit 25 and he could certainly sniff 30 home runs still. He's got power to all fields. He's going to be a, a great player moving forward, and he has locked down the starting first baseman for the Orioles moving forward. He improved his defense immensely at first base in 2022. That was a huge thing that he did for the O's this season. So he's locked in there, and you know the Orioles could add a left-handed hitter that's kind of a first base out corner outfield DH type that could play some first this year. Maybe Adley Rutschman will sneak out there a little bit, you know, when he's not catching. But in general, Mountcastle's bat is there, and the glove is finally now there. He is locked into first base. There is no worries about Ryan Mountcastle moving forward. He's going to be a staple in this O's lineup for years to come. Next question comes from Ben on Twitter who asks, if at the end of the year the Orioles rotation looks like this, Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer at the top, then you got Grayson Rodriguez, then kind of got Kyle Gibson, and then some combination of D.L. Hall on an innings limit and John Means after he is back from his Tommy John surgery. Is that enough for the Orioles to be a winning team? And what I assume is kind of the part of the question to get into the playoffs this year. My answer would be it it could be. I mean, if you get an extension from Kyle Bradish of what we saw at the end of last year, more breaking balls, filthy stuff. If you get kind of the same Dean Kramer, but without the two months he missed from injury and the same consistency in a three ERA. If you get the Grayson Rodriguez, we know he's going to eventually be, but we get it right away. He's dominant immediately as a rookie. If you get John Means back fully healthy, back to the level he was before the Tommy John surgery. If you get D.L. Hall showing that elite stuff, even if it's in four or five inning stints. And if you get Kyle Gibson eating innings and improving because of the, you know, the bigger ballpark and improving because of the better defense and the Orioles make a change like I talked about on last Monday's episode, then yeah, that rotation and with depth guys like Tyler Wells and, and Austin Voth in there as well, then yeah, that rotation is enough to get to the postseason. But go back and listen to how many times I just said the word if when going through all those things. The only pitcher, I've said this multiple times, the only pitcher in the Orioles projected opening day rotation for next year that has had even one full good MLB season on the mound is Kyle Gibson. Kyle Bradish hasn't had one. Dean Kramer hasn't had one. Grayson hasn't even pitched in the bigs. D.L. Hall certainly hasn't had one. And then, you know, John Means has, but he's not going to be back till June or July. You need another veteran starting pitcher on this team. Now, I'd love for it to be Carlos Rodon. I would certainly take Nathan Eovaldi. I'd love to see a trade. But at the very least, you at least have to go get a Noah Syndergaard. Or a Ross Stripling. Or, you know, I mean, even got a, a Corey Kluber, even. Just to get another veteran who you know is going to go out there and pitch and has been there, done that, had a good MLB career, had good MLB seasons to help be backup for these young guys. Because as I've said, you can't rely on all these unproven guys. Even if they impressed you last year, doesn't mean they're going to impress again this year. A lot of guys could and some guys will regress this season. And you just cannot rely on this many rookies. You just can't, especially, especially in a starting rotation. And the last question of the day comes from Thomas via email, who wrote kind of an introspective email, you know, a longer one about the O's, but it boils down to this question. Could the Orioles be treating the 2023 season as one more season of evaluations and a, a let's see what we have year with guys like Austin Hayes, who are trying to prove it, and also younger guys like Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, 
Stowers, Vavra, the prospects that are coming up, et cetera. And obviously this is a question, you know, pushing back on the Orioles offseason so far where they've only added Kyle Gibson and it's looking less and less like they're going to really, really add and, and really lift off in terms of spending this offseason. Now, I will say to Thomas's question, it could be the case. The Orioles certainly could be looking at this as one more season where we see what we have. Because if they did go in and, and, and do the spending this offseason, which I think they should do, and do the additions, and maybe trade for guys, they would have never had the season of the rebuild where you say, we like our chances. Let's see what we've got with these guys. Can these guys win? Because, let's be honest, 2018 at the deadline, they, they, they still went for it that year at the beginning. They were just terrible. They sold everyone away. They bring in Michael Elias. They bring in Brandon Hyde. 2019, they weren't thinking about anything. They were thinking about how can we have the cheapest team and just rebuild the farm system and lose a lot of games. That's what they did. 2020 was, eh, there's a couple pieces here. It's a shortened season. It's weird. We throw it out. 2021 was, all right, some of our younger players are going to come to the big leagues. Most of them aren't going to be Mike Elias guys, but eh, let's see how they play. And it wasn't, let's see if we can win with this team. It was, let's see which of these guys will stick around and which guys Elias will get rid of in favor of his own guys. Then 2022 came around and it was a pretty similar thing, to be honest. It was, okay, let's see how the holdover guys mesh with the Elias guys who are finally going to get to the big leagues in 2022. The O's did not go into this season thinking, hey, maybe this team can compete for the playoffs. Let's see what they do. Now, they did compete for the playoffs and finished with 83 wins, but they haven't had that going into the season of, we've got a lot of young talent coming up. We're feeling good. Let's see what they can do. Maybe this is that year. Should they do that? No, absolutely not. They need to add to this team. We've seen what has happened after 2012. They didn't add. They stunk in 2013. 2014 won the division, didn't add. They stunk in 2015. It's happened multiple times. 2016, get to the playoffs, didn't add. 2017, they stunk again. It's happened many a times. It could happen again. The O's certainly have room for regression because they had a lot of players who really played above their heads. I think we all agree to that in 2022. So if the Orioles don't really add much more this offseason, maybe they add a, a mid-level left-handed bat, you know, maybe a, a Michael Conforto, and they add a backup catcher, and maybe a relief pitcher. Maybe they don't even add that much. Maybe it's just kind of Kyle Gibson, and then they go to town. Yeah, they're going to get to see a lot from these younger guys. They're going to get to give Hayes one more chance, and you know they're going to get these full seasons from Kramer and Bradish, although I think they'd still get these full seasons. They're going to get a good look at Tyler Wells and, and D.L. Hall, in the rotation and a better look at Austin Voth. And, you know, they're going to get a full season of Kyle Stowers and Taryn Vavra and see what they can do and get another good look at Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias and see if they can stick around. And they're going to get a look at all those guys if they don't add. And, and that could be good for the future because I think you could really flush out in 2023 who's a piece and who's not. But the issue is you didn't win 70 games last year. You could argue that that's something you could do if you had won 65 or 70 games last year. You won 83. You were in the playoff race in September. This fan base, this team expects more. You can't just go into this year saying, ah, we'll see what they got. We'll see if they can get to the playoffs. You got to try now. You have to try to get to the playoffs. You just can't rely. As I said in the last question, you just can't rely on this many rookies. And again, maybe this is the plan to be like, all right, we won 83 games. We added Kyle Gibson. We're adding more prospects that are ready to come up to the big leagues. We got guys like Henderson and, and Rutschman with, you know, full years behind them getting better. We project we're going to be even better this year. And we won 83 games, so why can't we win 88? That could be the reasoning. 
But that also could be a front for what can we tell the O's fans so we don't have to spend any money at all? It's a pretty solid argument I just put together for them. And they might use that if Kyle Gibson is the only big spending. But in the end, you can't rely on this many rookies. That team, while it could be fun to see all those guys playing, is just not going to get to the postseason. You can't rely on that many unproven guys. And maybe they'll learn a lot about those guys, but they certainly will not get to the postseason next year. And that needs to be the goal every year. You can't have any of these other years with say, oh, you know, we'll see what happens. No, you need to be trying to get to the playoffs. That's what it's about. And right now, there's a lot of offseason left, but right now, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. So maybe this Thomas's question is the plan. But that'd be a disappointing plan for the Orioles to have after all the success they had in 2022. You got to build on it, not just sit on your hands. But that'll do it for today's mailbag episode. We thank you so much for sending in your questions. Again, if you did send in questions for the mailbag and they weren't answered today or on yesterday's Mailbag Monday episode, I'll get to them next week on the mailbag. If you'd like to submit a mailbag question here on the Locked on Orioles podcast and get it answered, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can tweet the account at LockedOnOrioles or DM us at LockedOnOrioles. The DMs are open on Twitter. You can also leave your question in the YouTube comments right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe as well. And then on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review. And in the review section, you can leave your mailbag question as well, and we will answer it from there. But I will be back here on the podcast tomorrow once again. We talked a little bit about the starting pitching or what's left of it on the free agent market today, but let's fully dive in on tomorrow's episode. After the moves over the weekend, what truly is left for the O's? And what are the chances they actually add one of those guys or trade for one of those guys? Or is their rotation set going into next year? We'll answer those questions coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.